And my favorite quote ever, this is my favorite quote, the quote of all quotes. This is the quote that, that I use to think about life. And this is the quote that I tell to my children all the time. This is a quote that I use for business and parenting, which is Wayne Dyer's quote, which is, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And there's no more innovative spirit than that quote. Change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our series, Building a Focus Firm with Hector Garcia, CPA. I'm Blake Oliver, CPA, your moderator for today's episode. This is the seventh installment in an eight-part series all about how to build an accounting or bookkeeping firm that gives you joy by focusing on what matters. This is our last live stream. Our final session will be a webinar on March 28th. Subscribe to our email list to get an invite to that You can subscribe, if you have not, at earmarkcpe.com slash focus. You'll get notified of the webinar. You'll get an invite. You'll get a calendar invite. uh, And you'll get a link to the CPE course for each episode when it is available on the Earmark CPE app. Thanks to our sponsor, Avalara, for making this series possible. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners of all sizes, from sole proprietors to top 100 firms. Avalara simplifies sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated return filings, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. We live and breathe tax so you don't have to. Learn more at avalara.com accountants. Thanks, everyone who has joined us live. You can chat with us. You'll need to subscribe to the YouTube channel to chat. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your opinions. Go ahead and ask questions. I'll put those to Hector uh, as we go through the presentation. Now let's talk about CPE. I mentioned that you can earn CPE for joining us today. This is a live stream, not a traditional webinar, so it works a bit differently. You'll get an email next week with a link to the course on the Earmark CPE app. Sign up for the app, click the link to the course, and you'll be able to take a quick quiz and get your free CPE certificate. Again, sign up for our email list so that you get notified when that course is available and get a link to go directly to the course. All right, with that out of the way, let's get to our topic today, which is part seven, Innovation Thought Experiment. I'm eager for this one, Hector. I understand that we're going to ask a question, uh, which is near and dear to my heart because I have an eight-year-old son. We're going to ask, what if Disney created an accounting firm? Uh, and I'm going to Disney later this year, so and I'm, I'm addicted to it. So I, everything they do is incredible. I, I want to know, what, what can we learn from Disney about how to run a firm? Absolutely. And welcome, everybody. Thank you, Avalara. Thank you for everybody joining us live. And thank you for people watching the live streams and uh, po- listening to the podcast afterwards so first of all this concept of what if disney were to open an accounting firm or where to acquire an accounting firm or start an accounting firm whichever uh way you want to uh put it together uh comes from or the inspiration comes from uh ron baker a a mutual friend of ours and and a person that truly inspires and continues to inspire um us practitioners to think uh differently and kind of try to swim against the current and 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 work it, it just try to break the status quo. And I think the reason why that's a good question to ask, and and you should not be limited to just that question. 
You could also ask, you know, what if Walmart were to open golf courses or what if Rolex were to open a sandwich shop? Like you could take two completely seemingly unrelated things and try to put them together and it will require you to really, really think deeply and creatively. And in some cases, get a partner to brainstorm with. So Blake will be my partner today. And that's really the idea of, um, of innovation. Innovations really just starts with conversation, conversation, definition, imagine, imagining things, uh, riffing off each other, saying silly things, say, saying crazy things. And at some point in time, maybe on your first session, maybe on your hundredth session, it, it, you know, innovation will catch you by surprise. That's for sure. Um, you know, there will be a eureka moment where you'll say, oh, yeah, that is what we need. That's what we need to implement. So before we get started with that, and that, that's definitely going to be the fun part, we'll, we'll just improv. Uh, I want to uh, break, it, break it down a little bit and talk about um, innovation. Like what is innovation and, um, and how did I get inspired to start innovating and, 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 uh, and, and transforming my firm and adding new things, new services, new ways of thinking? To my firm so we're going to break this down into three areas so we're going to have where i get the inspiration from so this is where hector gets his inspiration from then we'll define what innovation is i'll give you the textbook definition i'll give you my own definition and i'll give you some quotes to inspire you because innovation for the most part is inspiration not so much perspiration because you can't you can't you can't innovate on purpose it, it almost always happens by accident right so so you almost have to be in a continuous state of inspiration um, and, 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 and create an environment where innovation is always welcomed, uh, but never forced. Okay, so, so, that, so we'll discuss that. And then lastly, we'll talk about, we'll actually ask the question and Blake and I will ask each other questions about, you know, how will we brainstorm a, a thought experiment like this? And this is an exercise that I think everyone could take to their firm with your partner, with an employee, with uh, a fellow practitioner, if you're a solo person, and start really, really thinking through some of these possibilities. And then we'll, we'll have Q&A sort of um, sprinkled through the session. So let's start with inspiration. So I'm going to give you what I think is the innovator's bookshelf. And by the way, there's plenty of other books that I think I, I should have mentioned here. But I'm going to tell you the few that I think that if I were to carry with me and teach people innovation or, or tell people this is where I learned what I know, it would be from these books. So I'm going to list them. And some people are watching on the on the live uh, webinar, you know, or through through video in YouTube, they can see this slide. For for the for the folks who are only doing audio, let's go through it. So number one is going to be Ron Baker and Paul Dunn's book, Times Up: Subscription uh, Business Model for Professionals. Second one is a book called uh, Win Without Pitching by the author Blair Enns, one of my favorite books. It has nothing to do with accounting, but it's amazing. Another book that I love is Rory Sutherland's book Alchemy. I think. This was about three years old, and it's actually an amazing book. Uh, another one is every book by Peter Drucker, but the problem is that he's got like forty or fifty books. So we're just gonna—I'm just gonna mention the the, the top seller, the, the probably the best one to get started with, which is called *The Effective Executive*. The next book, which I love, is uh, Peter Thiel's book *Zero to One*. This one introduced a very important concept that drives almost everything that I do, which is you can compete with others or you can be your own monopoly. And what does that mean? It means that if you are unique enough, if you're different enough, if you create your own category, simply just by innovating or reframing, and we'll get into reframing, you will have a monopoly. And there, no one else has 
you know, can offer what Hector Garcia CPA, the YouTuber, can offer. I have a monopoly on that. And that's a really important piece that every single one of us being us different, having a separate, you know, thumbprint, a fingerprint, we can be a monopoly of, of our own. And I just absolutely love when he, when he introduced that concept, it blew my mind. Another great one, a great book is uh, Clayton Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma. I believe he passed away last year. Uh, he was a Harvard professor. He introduced the concept of jobs to be done, where he says every product and service is hired to do a job. Every product or service is hired to do a job. So you almost have to give the product that you sell, the personality that that product is being hired to do a job. And you have to think of it from that perspective. And, and of course, I'm not doing the book any um, any any uh, any justice by just saying that and that's it. But Innovator's Dilemma, an amazing book. Another one is an uh, oldie but goodie classic. It's called uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I, you know, there's there's like 20 different versions of that. I bought my teenage daughter the one that says Seven Habits for Highly Effective Teens, and I, I'm making her read it and making her present it back to me. So it's actually a really fun way of of connecting the things that we do to be effective business people, and then see how you know your kids, or family members, or individuals, non-business people can do similar things, similar themes, and they can also be effective as human beings. So I think that's awesome too. Uh, Simon Sinek has tons of books that are, are, are inspiring. Um, leader, uh, leaders Eat Last, Start With a Why, but I'm just going to allude to the latest one, The Infinite Game, which is really, really awesome. Um, old concept, new spin to it. I, I, trust me, you, you'll be inspired by it. And then there's um, W. Chan Kim and Renee Mulberg, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Blue Ocean Strategy, which talks about basically niching, right? Like, why would you want to be in a red ocean where everybody is, you know, fighting for the same customer? You know, Blue Ocean means pick another place where no one else is, is swimming or, 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 or floating or whatever you want to call it. And go there, go there. Don't go where everybody is, is, is fighting for each other. So sort of create your own category niche. Another book that I love, and there's many books about Disney or Walt Disney, but this one um, I, is one of the most recent ones is Bob Iger's Right of a Lifetime. Great book about leadership and just kind of taking you through um, his story with, um, with Disney. He, he, he's I'm not sure if he's a current CEO, but he, he was the CEO until a while ago. And then another most recent book uh, is by uh, a, a young fellow. <laughs> it, uh, his name is uh, Chris Doe. And um, his, his book is called A Pocket Full of Dough. And he's um, a graphic designer by, by trade that started a YouTube channel to educate the world. And his, his, um, his motto, his, his, his uh, slogan is, I want to help a billion people make money doing what they love. And he has an amazing YouTube channel. You definitely want to research him. He, he's amazing. It inspires me every day and many other people. So this is uh, the Innovator's Bookshelf, right? So you go back, rewind, listen to it again. See which ones you have, which ones you don't have. I guarantee you that this will help you build uh, an innovator's mindset. Okay, so let's talk about what is innovation. So we started with where we get inspiration from. Now let's talk about some definitions so we can all be in the same page. So the first six episodes of this series, let's do a quick recap. We talked about positioning, which is branding, marketing. Let's talk about, let's just say that's what it is. We talked about business model, which is about, you know, how to structure your business strategy. Then we talked about technology, which is the tools that we use to work and deliver the, the, the deliverables of our work. Then we talked about sales process and onboarding, how to, how to get the right client, how to, how to continuously 
get the client in with the right expectations. Then we talked about value pricing and offering guarantees, how to align the value you create with the price you charge and make the customer feel good about what they're paying, even if they're paying more than the competition. And then episode six, we talked about attracting and retaining talent because without talented employees, you can sell services all day long, but who's going to do the work, right? So that's what we talked about in this uh, six episodes. And really what's missing here is innovation. And innovation can happen in any of these stages. You, it, it, most people think innovation is only a technology thing. And true, I mean, that's really where innovation gets manifested in, in a very acute way, which is very obvious that there's innovation there with technology. But most innovation happens in your mind, especially innovation innovation in terms of changing your business model, innovation about reframing what you do, innovation on how you approach selling to your customers, innovation on how you price and how you offer guarantees, innovation on how you attract and retain talent. So innovation is sprinkled through any of these sort of deep topics that we uh, talked about. Now, one of my favorite, one of my favorite topics or, or uh, quotes, okay, and, and it really does encompass everything we've talked about so far, is Peter Drucker's quote, which is, because the purpose of a business is to create a customer, the business enterprise has two and only two basic functions, marketing and innovation. Marketing and innovation produce results. All the rest are costs. As Peter Drucker's quote, this is from the 70s, possibly, um, or the 60s, maybe. <laughs> don't know how far back this quote goes. But that's what we talked about. Everything that we've talked about so far is marketing and innovation or the catalyst to change it or improve it is within the eyes of marketing and innovation. So absolutely love that quote. And if you actually start believing that quote, you start changing where you're going to spend the most amount of energy. This quote is not very popular amongst accountants because most accountants think, wait, wait, there should be three functions. Add accounting in there. Add finance in there. No, no, no. You have to understand accounting and finance are costs. They're co compliance. These are costs. Okay. None of these things add to the purpose of the business, which is to create a customer. You cannot create a new customer through great accounting methods, okay? Maybe you maintain them, you know, by not pestering them with open invoices they already paid or something like that. I get that, but most of the time you don't create customers, you don't create products, you don't create markets through accounting and finance. These are costs. So you have to understand that, you know, for, for most of us, uh, for most of our customers anyway, that's how they see us, right? So you can always reframe yourself as, hey, I am going to take over the market, I mean, the accounting function. I'm going to take over the finance function. You're going to outsource the entire thing to me so you can focus on marketing and innovation. So just use the same concept to, to, to empower your customer, your, your small business client, to refocus their energy in innovating and branding and marketing and all those things. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple more quotes, but before we do that break, do you have any comments on this or any questions so far on what we talked about? Uh, no, I just love it. And I love that quote. I think it's really challenging for firms to get that. The, the marketing and innovation are the core activities. When we all think it's the accounting, it's the returns. And when you actually look into it, it's not. And it, But the, you can do a whole webinar just on this quote. Yeah, um, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> but we are now, almost doing that. Almost a whole webinar on this quote. That's for sure. That's for sure. That, that's right. Uh, would now be a good time to take a little break? Yeah, go ahead. Do, let's do that. Okay, let's, let's, let's shout do out to this. Avalara. Yeah, let's give a shout out to Avalara. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara, for their financial support that makes this series possible. 
Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners from small to large still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? It's time to stop and focus on automation. The Avalara for Accountants suite empowers even the smallest practitioner to support clients' tax compliance needs. All firms can benefit from their referral program. Simply refer clients to Avalara and let them assist on your behalf. For practices that offer direct compliance services, use Avalara for Accountants' award-winning tools to help you start or grow a tax compliance or CAS service. Expressly designed for accounting service providers with multiple clients, solutions include real-time rates, automated returns filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. Partner with Avalara and grow your practice with efficient and accurate sales tax compliance while reducing risks for you and your clients. To learn more, contact Avalara at accountants at avalara.com or visit them at avalara.com slash accountants. All right, back to you, Hector. Uh, perfect. All right, so let's talk about um, a couple of other quotes. Again, we're, we're in the seek of inspiration. So Blake, my job right now as a facilitator of this is to uh, get you turned on into this sort of innovation mindset. So then when we start brainstorming about, you know, the big question, you know, what if Disney were to open an accounting firm, you, your, your neurons are sort of opened up for that. So I'm going to give you another quote that I love, which is the value of a product or service can increase or decrease depending on the context in which it is presented. What do you think about that? I think of bottled water at the airport. So it might cost me 69 cents at the grocery store. It'll cost me $6.90 at the Phoenix airport. And that's all because of where I am and what my other options are when I'm there. I'm a, I'm a captive audience. Absolutely. There, there's a funny video on YouTube that I recommend you watch. I think it's called $2.00. Ed Sheeran peep show. Have you seen that one? $2 Ed Sheeran peep show. Is this where like, he's anonymous and people don't know who he is and, and they're no. trying to get people? No, no. Okay. So what they do is that they actually put him, this, I, I think this is like Australia or New Zealand or something like that. They put him in a little, in, 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 they're in like this peep show district and whatever city they're in, a place that's known to have a lot of sort of peep shows and strip clubs and that sort of thing. And they, they, they rented one of the rooms and then, Ed Sheeran, the art, the, the international superstar was there and there was a, you know, he, he, he was covered up and then there were a guy out in the street, a super shady looking guy was saying, hey, $2 for 30 seconds uh, for a peep of Ed Sheeran. He's there. And no one, no one would, no one would say yes. And for like two and a half hours, one per, after tons of convincing, he goes, okay, whatever, $2. Well, let's see what, what you got. And the people sit down, they go, peep show started. You know, the, the it's really him. It. It's really Ed Sheeran. He's singing one on one to this person. This person is like just like stuck, mummified. And then you know, the thirty seconds yeah. later, Kearney goes. He's like, "Can I do more?" He's like, "No, no, just thirty seconds." I said goodbye. You know, and just the lesson yeah. here is that first of all, I, I mean, two dollars per thirty seconds. <laughs> I mean, I, th I'm, I think I would pay two hundred dollars to get right. you know, hundred minutes straight with him or whatever, whatever the math is. Uh, but it's the context, like it's peep show, superstar, $2. It just doesn't make any sense to the user. So the user is not going to believe the value is there. So why would they even bother? I got one like that for you. So Joshua Bell did an experiment where he went into a subway station in New York and he busked. He just took out his violin, started playing, opened the case for money. And people are walking by 
for like a whole hour and only one or two people recognized him and understood the artistry of what he was doing. Everybody else totally missed it because he wasn't in the same context. He wasn't in the concert hall. He wasn't wearing his suit. And, and, and then down the street at the Lincoln Center, people would pay 200 bucks. You know, to, oh, yeah, to, to go uh, see him, right? much more than $500 for a seat, you know, to see Joshua Bell at one of those concerts. It's amazing. No, yeah. it's, 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 it's incredible. The co context yeah. is everything. I pretty much that's, that's, that's what that, that, quote, um, that quote is telling us. Another really cool quote is from Albert Einstein, which is, you cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. But basically, this is a riff on... Um, your definition of insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. All he's saying is that the problem that was created using old thinking cannot be solved with the old thinking. We, have, we need new thinking, right? So we need to completely change that. Next one is Peter Thiel's quote, author of Zero to One, which is the most valuable businesses of the coming decades will be built by the entrepreneurs who seek to empower people rather than to make them obsolete. And this is before the whole AI craze, before chat GPT. Think about this, okay? So Peter Thiel's just thinking way ahead of his time. This book is from 2007, I believe, or 2017, actually. The most valuable businesses of the upcoming decades will be built by the entrepreneurs who seek to empower people rather than try to make them obsolete. And think about all, what all these technologies are trying to do, or at least the context in which people are viewing these new technologies. Yeah. When did, do you know when he said that, Hector? Because that is very prescient given yeah, the development yeah, it's not, in not AI. Recent. It's not recent. Yeah. Uh, like with, with ChatGPT. Like, prior to ChatGPT. Yeah. Yeah. So like generative AI just makes me already so much more productive. It's incredible how it's augmented my abilities. And like, so this is just totally spot on. Right. And, and the context is we can see these technologies. Some people, you could choose to see these technologies as trying to make people obsolete or replace people with technology or the folks that say, you know what, I'm going to use this tool to empower me to make me better rather than trying to replace someone else or make my team better rather than trying to replace them. So I think that's the other challenge that people are having, especially with chat, chat GPT type of technologies, is they're saying, well, you know, how is this going to save me money? And, and that's code word for who can I fire and use this instead? You know, like people are not thinking of using this to empower the individual. So it's a great quote. I love it. Very important and pertinent to today's time. Another great quote from Blair Enns is he actually came up with this concept called the inefficiency principle. Inefficiency principle. That's not a real word. It's his made up word. And is innovation and efficiency are mutually opposing goals. You cannot increase without decreasing the other, which means you must be inefficient to bring mm -hmm. on innovation. It's very difficult to, uh, to be mired in efficiency and somehow innovate. And, and this is why accounting firms, traditional accounting firms, struggle to innovate because they say, we're going to give our staff 10% innovation time. And... Innovation is a lot more inefficient than 10%. You need to give them 20, 30, 40, even 50% of their time to innovate. Well, if the, I mean, if you're, if you're measuring the innovation time, 
that means that you're that you're focused on efficiency, right? Right, right. right. Oh, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> you're, you're measuring the innovation and then you're trying to get your innovation output per hour, you know, in a spreadsheet or something like that. Of right. course, you're not going to get anything out of it. it. This is why accounting firms don't innovate because they're did you ever watch, efficiency. Did you ever watch that show Mad Men, Hector? Yes, absolutely. Yep. I, so like I, when I think of innovation, I think of Don Draper like lying on his couch in his office doing nothing for like two days until he has a moment of genius. And then that becomes the ad campaign that propels the agency to its next level. It's not, you can't measure him with a timesheet. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, 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 one of the awesome scenes from it is when Conrad Hilton, who's the, the owner, founder of, of Hilton Hotels, is showing him, this is in a social setting, is showing him, I guess, a, 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 an advert, an advertising uh, poster um, where they had the new slogan or the new uh, mascot of Hilton, which is you know, the little lovable character that customers will fall in love with, is a little Mickey Mouse looking mouse. It's a, it's a little Mickey Mouse looking mouse, you know, talking about the hotel or whatever. So he asked them to give him a, a free one. He's like, hey, man, this is my profession. What do you mean? He's like, you know, just give me a free one. And then, and then he takes out a cigarette, takes a long puff, he's looking at it, and he goes, I don't think that in the context of hotels, people want to think about a mouse. Oh, that's a, I forgot about that scene, but that's a really good one. Yeah. But, but if you're thinking, I mean, like yeah. if, if efficient mindset will never drive you to that particular thought. Yeah. Okay. Like efficient mindset will think about the size of the, of the lettering, the size of this and the picture you're, you're not using it like just like the really big picture stuff, the simple things. Um, and, you know, innovators think differently. I, I, I believe they just see the problems in different perspectives. Another quote that I like, and again, Blake, I'm trying to inspire you, okay? I'm trying to get you into this innovative mindset. So Bob Iger, the, the, the Disney CEO, uh, is, he said, the riskiest thing we can do is just to maintain the status quo, or the riskiest thing is not to take any risks. So basically, all he's saying is, you got to take a risk, got to take a risk, got to do something different. Another um, awesome quote is creativity and innovation always comes to us as a surprise. Otherwise, central planning would work. This is from uh, George Gilder, author on wealth and poverty. Obviously, he's big, big, big into uh, capitalism and free markets. And this is where, you know, innovation comes from. It's, it's letting people solve problems for other people. Don't, you know, not just getting the government and central planning out of the way in order to foment um, uh, innovation. Another really good one, and this is um, th this last one from uh, George Gilder. I asked our friend Ed Kless uh, uh, from uh, the Soul of Enterprise podcast, a podcast that we love. I asked him for, hey, a quote on innovation that you like. He gave me this one. Okay, so quick shout out to Ed, our friend Ed Kless. And then I asked our friend Ron Baker for his favorite quote on, on innovation, and he gave me this one. This is from Ed Catmull, who's a CEO of Pixar. And you can see there's, some, there's a lot of Disney themes here. Um, in a fear-based failure adverse culture fear-based people fearing for their jobs failure adverse culture this is people that really don't want to screw things up people will consciously or unconsciously avoid risk their work will be derivative and not innovative and how how much of accounting work is simply just derivative because we are fear-based we don't want to screw it up because the customer will get a penalty right uh, failure adverse, you know, that's what we measure. We track time. So we can always go back and tell, well, I spent 30 hours on the project. Then, you know, it doesn't matter 
you know, I, I can justify or CYA myself into any possible mistakes because we put enough resources or people or time into it. So again, when people are avoiding risk, they're just going to do more the same and not ever innovate or bring new thinking. Another one awesome quote from Michael Dell, founder of Dell Computers, is efficiency is the foundation of survival, but innovation is the foundation of success. Right? You, we have to have efficiency, but innovation is more important. And one, one, one quote I like from Ron Baker, I don't have it in the slides here, which is effectiveness trumps efficiency. Right? Effectiveness is more important. And I think Innovation is effectiveness because innovation means creating something new for your customers, which is effective at getting your customers to come in to buy your products and services. So how we innovate, we innovate in three ways, actually three and a half ways. Okay. We can innovate by creating a new thing. We can innovate by improving an existing thing, but not just a small improvement, a noticeable improvement. And that's very difficult. I don't have a number, but it needs to be noticeable. So we can create a new thing. One, we can noticeably improve an existing thing. Or three, we can reframe an existing thing without changing it or improving it. Okay. And that, we're going to go back and talk about that reframing because that's probably the bulk of all the low-hanging fruit type of innovation that we can create immediately. And that's what the exercise of what if Disney were to create an accounting firm because we would reframe what we think an accounting firm does and we will reframe what we think the Disney brand does into this new sort of merged concept. And the half, you know, the three and a half one is we can combine a whole bunch of existing things that are not necessarily new, but the combination and sometimes a unique combination would feel like something new. This is, this is what we call bundling. And in, in the accounting world, this is what we call the quote tech stack. And people are obsessed. What's your tech stack? What's your tech stack? Because your tech stack is your combination of technologies that you put together, integrate, and use in a particular order and try to use it across all your customers to create a new, unique, different feeling experience without really reinventing the wheel. You didn't develop any of the apps. All you did was choose the right combination of apps, bundle them to give the customer, the feel of something new, something unique. Okay. Any comments or questions so far? Like, no, I, I, the, the bundling thing I think also applies to, um, you know, the way we sell the existing services we have, right. Just bundling tax and bookkeeping together, uh, into a new offering that's subscription based, right? Like that's, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, so just combine, you don't have to create something new, just combine them and, and the combination. Mm -hmm. Could be that's, that's why I call it three and a half because that one it's almost not really necessarily uh, innovation, but it, it 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 can feel and it's a very simple, easy way to um to go about it. Okay, now what is the textbook definition of innovation? It's a new idea, a new method, a new device, a novelty, the introduction of something new. I think we all knew this. But I'm going to give you my breakdown of the word innovation. And the nice thing is this works in Spanish and it works in English because it comes from the Latin roots of these words. So we start with in from innovation, which means in or inside. I think of that of inside your head. Nova comes from new, right? Nova is Latin, the Latin root for new. And Asian is action. So if you break this down, it's to make something internal new or to think differently about something. That's what innovation is. Make something internal new. So make your head 
think differently. That's to me the definition of um, of innovation. Now, there's tons of subjectivity on innovation because uh, whether something is uh, whether something is new or old, it's a it's a subjective uh, concept, right? So, Blake, I know you live in Arizona. I've never been to to Arizona, right? So if mm -hmm. I go to Arizona, I'm going to see a bunch of things that are new. Uh, you drive around and see that thing every day of your life, okay? So so tons of subjectivity. So that, that means that nothing is, intrinsically, nothing is intrinsically new or intrinsically, intrinsically old. Does that make sense? So nothing yes, is right. naturally it's new or naturally old, only to the person that perceives it that way. Correct. Yes. Uh, and, and objectively, you know, when we, when we repackage services in an accounting firm, when we rework how in team members are incentivized, often they're really still doing the same things they were doing before. We're just thinking about it in a different way. And that changes everything. Absolutely right. Okay. Right. You're, you're still filing a tax return. You're still reconciling accounts. You know, you're still talking with clients, but it's the way you, you think about it, the way you present it that makes the big difference. Okay, can you share my screen again? Just one more time, I think yeah. I, I unshared the mistake. Well, and if you don't mind me sort of going on a little rant here, yeah, like right. if you think about it, like this is where people get, get innovation wrong in accounting, is that we think that in order to change our firms, we have to add new services, that we have to do new things, but we don't. We can do exactly what we were doing before, but do it in a slightly different way, and it changes the whole experience. Or, or reframe it. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things I reframed it, and this is a, a transformation that I've been going through, inspired by Ron's book, Time's Up, is I'm not only moving to a subscription-based model, I'm also reframing what we do. So most people would think, or most of our colleagues, fellow CPAs, would think that what we do is we do accurately, we do accurate financial statements. Right? We state accuracy, we create accuracy in financial statements. But in reality, that's that's just that's that's our profession. That's what we got we got taught to do. But customers don't buy that. Customers don't buy accurate financial statements. What customers buy is confidence in their numbers. Confidence mm -hmm. in their numbers. So so they can trust their gut feelings because everyone wants to trust their gut feeling. Anytime your gut feeling betrays you it feels like a stab in the heart right and anytime that you know you're supposed to do something but you just don't want to trust the gut feeling because you have no backup you have no uh, 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 proof you have no documentation or you don't you don't have you have no confidence in your financial statements you don't execute that gut feeling uh, action and that slows you down and then you allow the competition to eat you alive because if you think that our competition is another CPA firm, <laughs> you're dead wrong. Our competition is going to be the intuits of the world doing, uh, you know, making their software automate our work. It's going to be Amazon somehow getting into our profession. It's going to be Shopify somehow getting into our profession. It's going to be Walmart somehow getting into our profession. It could be even be Disney getting into our profession. That's our real competition. So when our services are now being measured against the speed of Amazon delivery or the or the efficiency of of, of Netflix of outputting new 
new shows. You know, when our services are being pinned and compared against that, we have no time to waste. That means that we need to use every one of our, every single part of our bodies to make decisions. And that gut feeling is the single most powerful one. And if we don't have confidence in our financial statements, we cannot use it correctly or use it timely. So what I do for a living, my goal in life is to give my customers confidence in their numbers. And I'm reframing the entire, my entire firm around that. Okay. So when people in my firm ask me, or when I ask somebody in my firm, Hey, what are you doing? Their answer should be, I'm helping XYZ customer have more confidence in their numbers. And that needs to be culturally how we reframe everything that we do. We're not changing what we're doing. We're still doing debits and credits. We're still using QuickBooks. We're still reconciling bank accounts. None of this stuff is changing. What is, we're just reframing what it means to do what we do, what it means to our customers and what, why we do what we do. That's reframing and that's powerful. The most powerful tool you can think of. If you go look for the definition of reframing is, it's a cognitive technique of looking at a situation or problem from a new perspective in order to change the way it is perceived. Now, uh, one of the books I read from Peter Block talked about, he, he was talking about a different author, Werner Earnhardt, and the part of the quote, which is really, really important, is all transformation is linguistic. All transformation is linguistic. That means that every change you want to make in your life or in your business needs to have a word, a set of words, and it needs to go through your head first. You got to be able to label what you want to do or change or create before you can transform into it. All transformation is linguistic. That means change your words, change your world, change your words, change your world. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. And, and Blake, I don't know if you're a fan of apples, apples, the food and not apples, the technology, apples, the food for 50 years up, to, up until a couple of years ago. And I was doing some, I went deep into Apple research on this, not Apple, the technology, Apple, the food, the number one most sold apple in America was called the red delicious apple. And, and it was called red delicious. And do you think that has something to do with why people were buying it? Absolutely, because they did a study where once Red Delicious stopped being the number one Apple in America for 50 years, they did a, a blind test study where they took, they took the 10 most sold apples, Granny Smith, Fuji, or Fiji, whatever it's called. Um, I don't know if you know the names on the Yeah, yeah, honey Fuji. Yeah. I like the Fuji apples yeah. a lot, but they don't, I know where you're going with this, right, Hector? They don't look as pretty. Right, not just that. They did a blind taste test. And you know which one was dead last in every single one? The, the red, red delicious. delicious. Yeah, apple. they're disgusting. They're horrible. Yeah, they taste like nothing. So, yeah. so is it because it's a beautiful blood red color and the wax that they put on it, it has a really nice combination and it stands out to the person? Yes, but I think the name is what did it. The name is what did it. Because when you give, <laughs> when you give, the food a name and the name becomes its thing. If you're, if you're faced between one called the ambrosia apple, which is delicious and red delicious, and you're trying to, this, trying to in your head, figure out which is going to taste better. Automatically, you're going to say, well, this one is called delicious. It might as well. It probably is. 
So in the, in the absence of being an expert in apples, specific apples, you're going to go with Red Delicious. And I think that's what drove people to buy this disgusting apple. <laughs> All right. Apologies so, to all the red delicious lovers out there. Yeah, I know for sure. Sorry. Send your it. send your emails to Hector. <laughs> <laughs> your angry mail. And my favorite quote ever. This is my favorite quote. The quote of all quotes. This is the quote that that I use to think about life. And this is the quote that I tell to my children all the time. This is a quote that I use for business and parenting, which is Wayne Dyer's quote, which is, "When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at." change. And there's no more innovative spirit than that quote. Change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So in summary, before we get into now the brainstorming session, this is a summary we talked about. We talked about. In order to have an innovative mindset, I'm going to give you six key points. So we're going to summarize the entire, what is it, 40 minutes that we've talked so far into the six key points. And just take this and print it, put it on your desk and say, okay, I'm going to follow these things. And trust me, you're going to be more innovative. One is create an environment and culture that foments innovation. You essentially have to give people, this is for people that have teams, a free range to think, play, and test things. Okay? There, it, this is not, there, there's no coincidence that in companies like Apple and Google and all these things in Silicon Valley, they have board games in the in the in the cafeteria and and ping pong tables and arcades this is not a coincidence right they're letting people play and think a little bit because it's in that thought in that play state that your your that your innovative part is turned on okay you're not when you're when you're coding or entering data in a computer or 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 data entry no innovation is happening because we are in the efficiency side of our brain the creative side of our brain, it's only uh, sort of opened up and creating when you're thinking and playing and testing things. The second one is innovation can never be forced and can never be planned. It should take you by surprise. So just be patient. Be patient. It will happen. As long as the environment, innovative environment is there, it will happen. Third one is never the never-ending pursuit of efficiency will make it harder uh, to reach innovation. So you have to you know, kind of let loose a little bit about just stop being so, so, um, so anal about everything having to be so efficient. The fourth one is a change in context can change the meaning of an unchanged content. A change in context can change the meaning of an unchanged content. Fifth is take risks. Right? You need you systematically take risks, not enough to that could bring your firm down, but take enough risks um, that you can that you, you, you can foment change. And last one is, if in fact transformation is linguistic, then you have to change your words first. Change your words first. That's why I said, I'm changing the words of my firm to we create, we, we help people have confidence in their numbers. So the minute you change the word on that, everything else uh, changes with that. Okay, so let's go into... Uh, improv mode, uh, Blake. Innovation thought experiment. What if Disney started an accounting firm? And I, and I, I started with a couple of questions that we can start uh, asking each other. But first, do you have any media thoughts in your mind? Maybe something you thought about before coming in, in terms of what would happen if Disney were to start an accounting firm?
Sorry, Hector, did you say, did you have a question there? Yeah, I I'm saying, say, do, do you have any initial thoughts or you want to go oh, straight to oh, the questions? Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, okay, so my experience with Disney uh, is that my son is eight. We started going, we went to Disneyland when he was six, or was it seven? And I hadn't been in, uh, gosh, you know, 20 years. And I was blown away at how clean, efficient, beautiful, friendly, fun, good tasting. Everything is at Disney. Everything is five stars, including the hotels. And um, they just do everything like I would want. Like I would want to live at Disney. Like that's how good it is, right? It's like the perfect Main Street USA is like the imaginary perfect town. Um, and so, and I know they do a lot of really innovative things at Disney to make that happen. I, I, so that's my question: is like, what are they doing as a company that allows them to create that consistently amazing experience for their guests? And well, what one of the things I think, just starting off the bat, is their customers are called guests, right? So the minute you change the word, right? They're not customers, they're not clients, they're guests, right? Right, and, yeah, yeah, that's true. Guests, that's a meaning. Uh, you said it, you said it, you didn't even know it. Well, that's what they call you, right? When you're there, you're a guest. Right? You go to guest services. Um, what, what, yeah. what, does, what, what do you do for a guest, right? First of all, you make them feel comfortable. You make sure they have towels. So a house guest, right? You make sure you, you give them appetizers. You offer them a drink, right? You make sure they get the most comfortable chair. You clean the house before they come. Uh, you know, you, you get in your best attire. You, you try to cook them something nice to impress them. So imagine if every one of your customers is a guest. <laughs> and then basically, uh, and, and you're not allowed to call them customers. You only call them guests. Yeah. I would say that's one. Two, you know what they call their, uh, you know what the team members are called inside Disney? They call them cast members, right? Cast members. Yeah. But why? Uh, it's be. I've heard this. It's because um, the whole the whole park is a show. It's a performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The whole and, park is a performance. That's absolutely yeah. right. And you want to know what this? You know what? You want to know what the purpose statement of the Disney parks is? That I don't know. Tell me. To create memories. What a great purpose statement. Right. So yeah. so you, so your customers are guests. The employees are cast members, and their purpose is to create memories. And that's and a, one of that's the best. keeps people coming back. Yeah, absolutely. And one yeah. of the best anecdotes that I heard about this, I heard it from Joe Woodard, um, the the creator of the Scaling New Heights conference. And I think he he learned this at the Disney Institute. And Ron Baker is also uh, from. He also went to the Disney Institute. That's why they draw a lot of inspiration from this. One of the anecdotes that he that he discusses is. There's a custodian, you know, the person that just cleans the park is, is there, you know, picking up trash or whatever. And um, a family walks up to the custodian and says, hey, um, where's the ice cream shop? Okay. So that custodian, that, that person's job is to clean the park. And you said the park is super clean and super efficient at maintaining the clean park. So that's clearly important. Like you and I recognize that keeping the park clean is its utmost importance. So that person can stay on task and continue to clean and can say, yep, you see right over there and just point, just go straight over there, make a right. That's where the ice cream shop is. So in an, any business that we would go to, like a, a Walmart type of business, even Target type of business, that's how people would do it. But 
that person, that custodian knows that their purpose is to create memories. So any opportunity they have to create a memory, they're going to do things differently. So that person can kick it up a notch and say, hey, you know what? Let me just walk you there. Okay? And, and, and many five-star type businesses do that. They walk you there. Or that person can kick it up a notch even more and can line up the family sort of like in a, you know, sort of like a, like a, you know, sort of army style. And then yeah. you can start and, and you can start, what do you call it when you, when you walk like this, when you start pacing? They march, yeah, march start marching, right. And start marching towards it and singing maybe a, you know, a Disney song while you're doing it all the way to the ice cream shop. So that custodian is off task. That's not their job, but they're on purpose. Yeah. And that, that story, the anecdote to me, just exemplifies why Disney like, answers your question. How do they do it? Well, they do it because every single employee is empowered to think like that. I love that. Now, how is this relevant to us? <laughs> okay. All right. So that's fun. That's cool. But how, how, what does it have to do with accounting? Okay. Yeah, Hector, my, my accounting firm's not Disneyland. Come on, yeah, let's true, get real. True. But the reason why we have these type of thought experiments is because the best thought experiments are when you take two or more completely seemingly unrelated things and you start mashing them together. So let's do that now. So now you know, so now we know both of us and the audience knows enough about Disney, or at least from this perspective, to start thinking about okay, how do we translate that? So the first question I'll ask to you, Blake, and then just brainstorm some names. What would they call the accounting firm? What would they call the accounting firm? Uh, well, it, it wouldn't be the the last names of the three partners. Right, absolutely that, not. Yeah. <laughs> or, or it wouldn't be the initials of right. those partners. No, not, no. no. Um, I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to imagine it right now. Right. Well, let's talk about some of the words that, that, that Disney uses. Because remember, okay. transformation is ling linguistic. Yeah. And then I'll start throwing some words and then we'll start brainstorming. So they use the word magic a lot. Yep. They use the word dream a lot. Mm -hmm. They use the word... Uh, creative a lot, right? Yep. Right. They use the word entertainment a lot. Entertain memories, right? So, like, does that get us a little closer to a firm name? Wish upon a tax return. Uh, <laughs> what about well, What about the dream builders? Yeah, that's, and that would be a firm that wouldn't just you know do my tax return, but would also help me achieve my financial goals. Exactly. Dream builders, right? My exactly. financial dreams. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So that's that's dream builders. So dream builders. Yeah. Real, actually, actually builders great. That's a great name for a firm. Somebody should go out there and, and grab and that do domain. Right. Dreambuilders.cpa. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now they use the word creativity a lot, but the problem is creative accounting is one of those things that get a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit uh, uh, frowned upon. But yeah. Um, but it could be, I mean, it could be something like, you know, we, we said, we said, uh, the dream builders, yeah. but, but it, it could also be called the future build. Like, you know how there's mm -hmm. Tomorrowland, you know, like in Disney world, there's, uh, 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 an area called Tomorrowland. So yeah. it could also be tomorrow builders, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 or tomorrow or tomorrow business or tomorrow business advisors or, to, like or tomorrow land business advisors or business advisors of tomorrow. Again, mm -hmm. using a lot of the words that they use. So I mean that that's that's enough for you to start thinking about. Okay, 
you know, what if we would use a different example, right? What if Rolex were to make a sandwich shop, right? And then we start thinking about, you know, precision sandwiches or something like that, you know? So yeah. you can use these examples, but again, the idea is to just, to just play with this. All right, another question we can discuss is, how would they charge or what would their business model be like? And this might be an easier question. Oh yeah, this one, this one I can do better on. Um, well, so Disney, you know, they, at one point, all the theme parks in the country charged for each ride that you went on and you had to buy tickets for every ride. And Disney started that way too, but they realized that it's a better experience for customers or guests rather just to pay one fee to enter the park. Um, they've, they've since added different tiers, right? With their whole Disney genie, you know, ride skipping kind of service, but still you get 90% of Disney land just by one fee. Yeah. So, so based on the one fee to go to Disneyland or Disney world and the single fee to access Disney plus to watch all the movies, then you could probably infer that a Disney inspired accounting firm would have a single charge to have access to everything that they can offer that the firm can offer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, yeah. uh, you know, can you do everything for everyone yesterday? No. I mean, then there's a fast pass, right? Or well, a genie yeah, pass, and they, whatever it's called. I mean, and they have the expensive add-ons, right? You want to build a lightsaber, you're going to pay an extra $300 for that, right? So it's not like you have to give that up. But most people get into the park, probably 80%, right? Just pay that fee, that one cost. Right. Or so the subscription. So, and so and for, there's a subscription for when they go home, too. Right. Yeah. right. So, so for, from 80% of customers, there would be a single price and they would have access for everything. And for the 20% yeah. premium customers, there would be like a fast pass where they can get access to you quicker or they can get their financial statements done uh, faster or, it, or maybe it also involves some additional services. Um, I know Disney has even a super VIP thing called D23 or something like that where people pay out a whole bunch of money and they have access to like hidden restaurants and hidden clubs oh. inside Disney. I don't know if you heard about those. Yeah. So there'll yeah, be access pay, to those too. Yeah, you can pay like $200 an hour and get a personalized tour of Disneyland. It costs you a few thousand dollars, but you don't wait in any lines, right? And your firm could have that too. Right. Now, for all your yeah. customers, for the customers that, that, yeah. that have a lot more time than money, I, guess. I mean, a lot more, a lot more uh, money, money than, than time. time. Money than time. Yeah. Um, the, so that's how, that's, how much, that's how they would charge. Now, the other question is, Compared to the average firm, would they be average? Would they be lower price or would they be higher price? Oh, yeah. No, they'd be premium. Absolutely top price. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> everyone, who, everyone who's taken their family to Disney knows just how expensive it is these days. Exactly. And, and, that, yeah. and, 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 um, and usually, if you spend a lot of money to do something in an event, like, you are just more vested into it and mm -hmm. you know you're going to pay more attention to it and you know you're going to force yourself to enjoy it more. Um, and um, and that's the type of customer they want, right? And, and, but mm -hmm. the nice thing about it too is you don't need to spend five grand to have a great interaction with, with Disney. Disney, you could just buy a $24 movie in Target. So that, yep. So, so I think that a Disney accounting firm would also have a very low cost sort of do it yourself, work your work on your own type product. So I think a Disney firm would also have maybe a, an ebook or a, or a video or something that says, Hey, how do you, how do you run your own, uh, how do you do your own accounting or something? I think, yeah. I think absolutely Disney would do something like that. It'd be high quality. It wouldn't be 
super cheap. Uh, it would be highly be... produced, but but yeah. they can sell to the masses, so, right. so they'll, they'll make it up in 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 a, in, yep. in a few hundred sales anyway. Absolutely. What about? This is an interesting one. What about merch? <laughs> you know, like oh. you know, after every ride, you go into the 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 gift shop, and then there's yeah. merch almost for every ride. So I've never been in an accounting firm that gives out our merch, right? Like yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> so like I think definitely their customers would have Disney accounting firm merch. Okay. Here's an idea, Hector. This is an idea I had years ago. Um, tell me what you think about this. I think this fits in. So one of the big problems we have in cloud accounting, in client accounting services is getting our clients to use the apps that we set up for them. Um, getting them to use the practice management, the portal, the all that stuff. And I said, well, what if we just made it super easy for them and we like loaded all that stuff onto an iPad and gave them the iPad and just told them, hey, you need to send documents to us, like use the iPad to take a picture of it and you can send it securely. Everything's already set up. We've already installed all the apps. You're already logged in and we'll manage it from a security perspective through our IT. Like that would be an experience that nobody has ever created before. I, I absolutely right. I mean, like the, it, Disney has this thing called the something band or the one band or the magic yeah, band or magic something band. like that. And the magic band has entrance to the hotel, has your credit card so you can buy anything you want, has your fast pass so you can go into the rides. Uh, essentially, all of these situations where you have to go take something out from your pocket to interact with Disney, you no longer need it because you have um, a magic band. I think this iPad loaded with our tech stack that we manage remotely, that we can connect with, is our. it would be the accounting uh, firm version of the magic band, wouldn't it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's awesome. I think that was a, a great brainstorming there. Now, what would they call their employees? They wouldn't call them staff. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, team, I, I, I call my team just like, team members right? right but i think disney would take um, it up a notch i think I yeah think... They, they they call them cast members what would the accounting firm call their their team um so you want you want to laugh yeah sure i i built this entire presentation i pasted it into chat gpt <laughs> and i said look this is what i'm building help me come up with some names for staff members that or for team members uh, that would be in this Disney-inspired practice. So, ChatGPT oh. gave me some. Well, so, you got to tell us. <laughs> I, so, one was Dream Builders, and that's really where that came from. So, one was Dream Builders, and what? There's a quick. That's that's great. ChatGPT came up with that. They that's came up with that. It's, spectacular. I mean, I, mean I, did, I did prompt. I did prompt. You know, I told them yeah. all the books that I read. I told them. You know, we talked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 ChatGPT came up with that, and there's an explanation behind. It. Listen to the explanation. This term would emphasize on the firm's role helping clients achieve their financial dreams and goals. It would also encourage employees to approach their work with a sense and purpose and meaning, similar to the ways the way Disney theme park employees arrive to create unforgettable memories for guests. How on point is that? That's How on point is that? And there's more. There's more. Yeah. More options. We got financial storytellers. This term will highlight the firm's commitment to creating financial experiences that not that are not only accurate and reliable, but also engaging and memorable. This would encourage employees to think about their work as a way of telling a story. 
and to use storytelling, te storytelling techniques to help clients understand and connect with their financial data. Financial storyteller. All right, there's one more. <laughs> financial alchemist. Financial Ooh. alchemist. Oh, that's good. Okay, this term would emphasize the term's ability to turn financial data into something valuable and transformative. That's what alchemy is, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, transforming things. Uh, it would also tie into the theme of magic and transformation, encouraging employees to approach their work as a form of financial alchemy, turning mundane tasks into gold for your clients. Financial alchemist. I love it. I love it too. And you know yeah. what the cool thing is? Chat GPT. You could, like, if you don't have somebody to brainstorm with, now you can brainstorm with Chat GPT. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really good. It is I really good. I hadn't thought about using it for this kind of purpose, but that's great. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're rebranding your accounting firm or starting one, brainstorm that with ChatGPT. Find a company that you admire, and and ask what would what would what would that accounting firm look like if Rolex started an accounting firm or Delta started an accounting firm? Or I don't know if people like Delta, but you know, definitely not Southwest, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Now, what would they call their customers? What would they call their customers? Well, Disney calls their customers guests. Yep. This yep. firm would call their customers. You got to tell me what the what the AI said. I, I didn't ask AI for this one. I, okay. I, I didn't cheat for the whole thing. <laughs> so, uh, what the one thing I was thinking is, uh, customers are here, like sort of the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. You think about that. Mm -hmm. So, I, I would take components from um, from. Disney-like characters, Disney-like heroes, and uh, and 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 use something like that. I mean, most heroes are dreamers, and again, we're—I know—we're repeating the theme, but yeah, yeah. if if we're the dream builders, and and, and they're the either, customers are the dreamers, the, are the dreamers? Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the, right, or the economic dreamers, right? Mm -hmm. Or the yep. business dreamers, right? or the future dreamers or what, whatever it is. Or if you're now, in the US, the American dreamers. The American dreamers, <laughs> that's a really cool tool. Now, think, now I, I, I went really deep into like asking ChatGPT for ideation. Uh, I said, I asked him if there was a Disney character that would represent the team members of this Disney-like firm that guides that hero through their journey, which characters would could we be? So. One of them is Jiminy Cricket, right? I was going to say that first totally. thing out of my mouth. Loyal, yep. wise, conscious of Pinocchio. We are our client's conscience, right? We're, we're the ones telling them, hey, make good decisions, right? Uh, and it would be so easy for a Disney-like firm to say, hey, remember, your the dream builders are going to be your Jiminy Cricket. And when you're asking questions, you're going to make a tough decisions, count on us to be your conscience or to be your guide. Yep. Isn't that, that interesting? Yeah. Uh, Another one is uh, the R2D2s, right? We, we, we could plug into any technology. You know how R2D2 can plug into mm -hmm. any technology and rewire the ship and stuff like that? The R2D2s. And there's a whole bunch. And you know, I, I, I'll give you access to this document because this document is really cool. I put this together based on that. But here's another one. What would Disney call the struggles that small business owners go through? And oh, I oh, asked ChatGPT. I got, I got one. Reframe got, the struggles as villains. As villains or, or a journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. The journey, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I so, like the villains. So I got a couple interesting ones, right? The 
the cash flow crunch. This business villain might be represented as a menacing storm cloud consistently threatening to rain down on the business owner's financial stability. The cloud could be personified as a greedy character named Cashflow Crunch, who's always trying to drain the business of its resources and profits. How about this one? Taxacerus Rex. <laughs> Taxacerus Rex. <laughs> this business villain is, a, is personified as a giant dinosaur-like creature with ferocious appetite for taxes and regulations. The name, it could be portrayed by, as a powerful and unstoppable force that business owners have to learn how to control and tame. The regulation robot, represented by a cold calculating robot program to enforce complex rules and regulations in small business owners that's, that they struggle to keep up with. Competitive Cruella. Cruella. <laughs> represented by a cunning and conniving a uh, business owner trying to steal market share and undercut competition with lower prices. I mean, this thing goes forever, by the way. It's just, it's just really awesome to, yeah. to have ChatGPT yeah. uh, uh, brainstorm with you. All right, let's just wrap this up because it's, we're having way too much fun and we're probably not going to get any, any real work done. Um, how would they deliver the information, uh, Blake? And this is not, this is, we didn't ask ChatGPT this one. Yeah, how, yeah. how would they deliver the information? Uh, I, they would be definitely doing videos, right? They would yep. be uh, telling a story through images, words, pictures, right? Uh, yep. yep. Definitely a, nar a narrative of some kind. Yeah, a narrative for sure. I mean, I, I, can, I almost picture like you get an email, you click, and you get this like sound of like you do this like fairy tale sound of you opening the books and opening uh, the reports, almost like, you know, like your little stars and little sprinkles. Uh, a fairy dust opens right in your screen right before you look at your financial statements. Yep. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the you definitely have the like the whole paper book kind of thing, the paper ledgers that open up and and that's your into your you know digital reports yeah, kind of thing. Like an like an old school um, like an old school storybook. Now, yeah. which details would they obsess about? Oh, well, I think the presentation of the of the numbers, right? Yep. Simple. Very simple, very clear, easy to understand. Uh, definitely not a lot of text on the page, not a lot of numbers on the page, just what matters. Yeah. You know what I think they would obsess about? That people actually use it, that people mm -hmm. actually read it. I think that Disney would devise a way of making sure that when they open the financial statement, the user has to interact with it to have it like sort of like open, like just kind of like, like a curtain, you know, like, like you start mm -hmm. looking at the revenue and then you start looking at the cost of goods sold and then you look at the payroll cost. And it's happening in such a way that they control the speed in which information is portrayed to you to make sure that you're going through it and following it in this exact sequence that they want you to follow it in. So you can follow yeah. it as a story and your net income is a conclusion of the story. You know, the other thing about Disney that, that, really is great is they make even the unpleasant parts of being in a theme park pleasant, like waiting in line. So all those things that you have to do as a client that are normally not very fun, like log into some portal or something like that, you could make that, you know, beautiful. You could make that, you know, not just like your logo slapped on some generic kind of thing, but something that looks completely unique. Um, which, which we would probably also include because one of the challenges that we have is, 
we are great at talking to the client and saying we're going to deliver this. And we're also great once we have time to sit down with them when it's done to explain it to them. But that in between, you know, the emails back and forth is, did you file an extension? What's the status? Did you get all the reports? Do you need anything else from me? You know, the organizer that hasn't been filled out, like the, the entire back and forth, this is the waiting in line equivalent. It's yeah. so uncomfortable for the customer. It's such a, and it's uncomfortable for us too. And, and you know why it's uncomfortable? Because a lot of times they don't know where they are in line. And the thing about Disney lines is that they're all themed and they all have a progression where you go into a different room that has a different theme or a different object or different things to interact with. And so you get this feeling like even though you're waiting in line for an hour, you're moving forward. But most firms, when the client sends you their stuff, they just sit in a dark room until you get back to them. That's what it feels like anyway, as a client, most of the time, because firms don't have the time or ability to give status updates. Right. And in Disney parks, they have a real time update to how long the lines are going to take. Is it 55 yeah. minutes? Is it 105 minutes? They're honest with you. If it's going to take three hours, they'll tell you this avatar ride will take you know, three yeah. hours. So being very precise on how long they will wait is something that Disney obsesses about. Yeah. And I think that a, a firm would do that. And this is probably the biggest opportunity we have. And I'm, I'm a culprit of that too. My firm is horrible at, at not, not only giving accurate uh, deadlines, but also, you know, giving this entertainment sort of, you know, storytelling experience to how we're doing with the work and then how, and, and finally, you know, when they get there, that it's actually within the time that we told them it, it would. And the last one, Blake, and I know, because this is a topic that you've talked about uh, quite a bit, and I know, and don't want to get into the politics of this, but Disney's big thing has been diversity for, for, a, for a long time, okay? And the accounting profession's big thing has not been diversity yeah. for a very long time. So how do you think, uh, Disney's approach to diversity. And again, not, well, without I, the specific race representation part, just diversity in general, right? How would you think Disney yeah, would change that? This doesn't even have to get political. This is just a, you can view this from a pure business decision, okay? Demographics in this country are changing. And so if Disney, Disney is a media company, they understand that if their characters do not look like the people who are consuming the media, then they will lose market share. And it's the same thing in your accounting firm. If the people in your accounting firm don't look like your customers, you are going to lose market share to a firm where that is true. And so just that you need you need to build a firm that your your customers want to interact with. And people like to interact with people who look like them. Let's just be honest about it. You know, they want to have they want to have representation on the other side of the table. So that's that's how I I I view it, and you can that's just that's just the pure business argument. I'm not saying the other ones aren't valid, right? If you've got ethical arguments to it, that's great. But I I try to make whenever I encounter people who are resistant to the whole diversity debate in the accounting world, I try to make the business argument because you can't argue with it. Absolutely, and that's it. That's that's that was the, my, my my brainstorming on that. I, I wanted to bring in Blake. Really appreciate the. Um, the your, your feedback on that uh, are there is any questions from the audience or anything else you would like to add to this maybe something you thought last minute oh we had a ton of people joining during that discussion that was great i think uh since we're past the top of the hour people had to go and get to their next meetings so i don't have any questions for you right now uh thank you everyone who joined us live i think we can go ahead and wrap that right any final words hector i would say an action item an action item so the action item is Grab something that typically is a high production, 
high efficiency, um, high volume item or market or product. So let's say, let's exemplify this with Walmart, right? And then grab something that's completely the opposite. That is a sort of s- slow cooked, luxurious, um, brand name, expensive, and look at the intersection of these of these two things. You know, like so. What if what if Walmart were to get into the golf course business? You know, like just brainstorm that. Nothing to do with accounting. You brainstorm that and ha- have someone that that wants to do it with you that wants to go through this with you and do this once a month or once a week even uh so if if you have a fellow uh colleague that that likes this experiment meet with meet with zoom and just go over these things and just play just play be playful play and i'm telling you i'm telling you i mean just this nugget of information just this golden nugget that blake gave me that i hadn't even thought about and i thought about this experiment quite a bit which is the concept of how disney uh uh, obsesses about the lines and the lines being pleasant and the and the light. Just that just gave me a couple of ideas on how I could change my firm and how I can bring mm-hmm. changes. And I don't have to make my firm Disney. And my firm is never going to be Disney. I will never be Disney. But are there components of Disney that I can learn from? Absolutely. And that could be a huge differentiator. You could just take one tiny little thing. So so I encourage you to 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 get into the regular exercise of brainstorming and doing these type of thought experiments and even expand upon this one. I would love to, you know, if you DM me or email me or tweet me or whatever, what else did I miss? You know, what else in your mind you thought Disney would definitely nail in the accounting, uh, in the accounting world? I love it. It's a lot of fun and we learn so much when we do it. Thank you, Hector. Dear listeners, don't forget that we've got one last segment or session or part of this eight-part series. It's a capstone webinar that Hector will be doing in a couple weeks. And so uh, we will be sending out a link to everyone on the email list to that webinar. Be sure to subscribe, earmarkcpe.com slash focus, and uh, join us then. Ask your questions. It's going to be a, a summary of everything that we've learned in this entire series. So if you haven't caught all the videos, catch this last webinar and you'll get the the most important takeaways and then you can go watch the individual parts if you want to dig in deep hector i'm looking forward to it i'll see you then likewise